Do you want to start the podcast? If we wait, we will just fret. It's time to record anyway. It's Tony and Jamie, and this is Crippled Threat. I don't really know. What song were you singing? I couldn't hear the melody. Frozen. Oh, God. I haven't seen that film. Oh, really? Yeah. I watched it because it was like, I was always really into animation, and I was like really impressed with that one. They did like uh, some pretty cool stuff with ice and snow. And anyway, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) You're actually talking about like mastering the physics of snow and ice. Like, like, were you literally referencing the fidelity of their renderings of the elements? Talk to me when you've seen the movie. But, well, it's just that I have trouble watching non-Pixar Disney films that were made after 2005. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Wait, was Inside Out a Pixar movie? Yes. Oh, so you saw that? Yes, and I love Amy Poehler and Parks and Rec and, like, pretty much everything she does. So that movie was wonderful. And actually... <laughs> The really funny thing about Inside Out is that I went to see it with my parents, like when I lived in your building. And so there was that that Lansdowne Theater that you could walk to yeah. that was like off of the the football stadium. And so it was like very overproduced, like the actual building and the experience itself. Like you felt like you're going to some weird like corporate like popcorn gala. Yeah, that's the, the theater where they have like a VIP section where you can pay like another $800 and get a burger first and they'll bring it to your seat. Right. You can get like Montana's chicken wings and like alcohol and tell yourself you had a gourmet experience. Yeah. It's outrageous. Anyway, I went to see that movie with my parents. Like we walked to the theater on a summer's day in July in like 2013 and on the way home, I, I was uh, to my mom. I was like, "What do you, you think of that movie?" She's like, "Oh my god, it was wonderful. There was, it had so many things going on. It's such, a, it had such a uh, complicated emotional palette, and like there are points where I really needed to cry, and it, it's like you know, pretty, pretty profound." I then asked my dad what he thought of the movie. <laughs> he was like, "I don't know, Joe. It was a cartoon. Am I supposed to have feelings toward cartoons?" it's just like that's all he said i didn't ask any follow-up questions okay so if you are on a spectrum of cartoon loving from your mom to your dad Uh uh-huh where do you land well i i don't necessarily limit the capacity of animated features to capture the essence of the human experience so i don't discriminate i just don't really trust disney it's not it's not the animation, it's it's Disney that I don't really like. Is it because you know that they're so good at emotional manipulation that you don't feel like they earn your your watch? No, I feel like late era Disney is trying to um be reflexive and it's trying to sort of reinvigorate its existing intellectual properties and like uh, appeal to a certain amount of uh, like uh, social justice or awareness, but really it's just recycling old canon, like without ever really being inventive or interesting. Yeah. Like the Lion King and stuff like that. Yeah. Like the Lion King was like a, a nature documentary. It was far too literal. It Did lost all it? of the, I, I saw, I, I think I tried watching like the opening 15 minutes and I didn't hear the voiceover of David Attenborough. So I just fucking shut it off. And now, we have a lion approaching his mate. This is Timon. 
This is Pumba. Right, exactly. And they dance. <laughs> Watch them sing in graceful synchronization. And that's how you know that, like, like parts of Disney are creatively bereft because, like, not even John Favreau was able to make a Disney film in that environment. Favreau, Favreau, Favreau. I don't know how the fuck he says me. But he's that guy that keeps making movies that everyone wants to see yeah. and TV shows as well. Yeah, I agree. I never saw the Lion King the new one either because it felt a little. Well, I just didn't want to ruin my love of the original. I was like, it's already so high on this pedestal. Like, I know I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can put Beyonce in it and, like, Childish Gambino, and it's still going to be a little disappointing. Like, it was star-studded. Right. But anyway, I didn't see it. But, like, Frozen is genuinely good, I think. And that's why it's one of the one of the only movies to really stick with, like, Gen Zers and younger of late, I think, because it actually does have a creative spark. There's some stuff going on. That being said, I haven't fucking seen it because I because that one particular song is such an earworm. And I just I don't want to participate in all that. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a hilarious version of a hipster that's like like imagine being like an eight year old who's like too cool for Sunday cartoons. (laughs) But like we'll watch anime but doesn't watch like saturday morning teletoon type stuff it's like i only watch cartoons by andrea turkovsky or something like that does the mom get eaten in the first episode (laughs) (laughs) that would be really funny do you have like a pre-recording ritual i always want to ask you that sometimes i i spend a lot of time the night before trying to compose my thoughts if if it's a film that i didn't really readily have opinions about while we were watching yeah i used to try to read up on like the subtext of the movies but then i found that they then i found that it would mostly cause like intrusive thoughts while you and i were trying to have a conversation and i didn't want to get like you know belabored by the obligation to basically um uh repeat these ideas that ultimately weren't even my own because I get like the idea would be to make sure you're being sensitive and aware and woke, right? And like you've taken in all of the the parts of it that are meant to be digested. Yeah. But yeah, then you're basically just regurgitating someone else's opinion. Well, our podcast is supposed to be the disabled perspective on popular stories. So if we're not taking the time to come up with our own sort of slant on what's going on in the film and why it's meaningful to us, then we're not actually doing our jobs. We're just like glorified English teachers. Well, I've never really understood. Like, I don't like spoilers at all when I'm watching a movie. Uh Even when I'm watching it in real time, someone who's seen it and they're like, oh, this is a great part. Yeah. Even, Even that is enough to be like, shut up. Like, just let me enjoy it and decide that for myself. And so I never read reviews. I I like to form my own opinion. And so, yeah, I think we talked about this early on because you were always like, at the beginning when we started, you would look at stuff about the movies and I made a point not to, mostly because I never did anyway with movies regardless. But we would talk about it and then it was always like, well, 
maybe it's good that one of us has because then we're not super ignorant. But I agree. I think that it's so easy for those thoughts to just easily become your thoughts, even if they necessarily weren't. Right. It's like preparing a book report that, that will ultimately put people to sleep. Yeah. But I don't, like, we don't need to prove that we're fucking smart. We just, uh, we, we need to see if there's anything uh, relevant in this piece of artwork that pertains to the experience of being disabled. And that's it. But aside from like mental preparation, do you have any, I see those goldfish beside you. Is that part of your ritual? No, I always have like shitty snack food around me. Goldfish are kind of delicious though. They really are. I love goldfish. They remind me of being a child. And they also, I feel less guilty consuming them en masse without thinking as I would if they were like a bag of Miss Vicky's chips or some kind of greasy Cheeto, you know? It kind of sounds like you're describing post-2005 Disney movies. Junk food for children? Like they're just... They're just there. They're good for you. Don't really have to feel guilty watching it, but you could probably do better. Well, I don't know. For anyone who like actually cares about how much late period Disney has failed the world, check out a YouTuber called Lindsay Ellis. And there's another one called Renegade Cut. And they talk all about how um, Disney hasn't had a unique idea apart from Frozen and perhaps the Princess and the Frog. They actually think Frozen is a good movie, so I'm not alone in my thoughts. I, I think so, if I re- if I recall. Or are you just saying that? To, are you just saying that for my sake? No, I would never placate you. If I had an opportunity not to, I'd take it immediately. Good. I hope so. Yeah. That may, that gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling. Does it actually? Yeah. For you to say I would destroy you if I could. <laughs> No, I'm being serious. We've talked about this. I don't like when I feel like people aren't being real with me. Yeah. Because it's such a common thing, right? They're like, oh, he goes through enough. We don't have to tell him that thing. Mm -hmm. That's that's like the one recurring like bit of neuroses that you have. Yeah. At all. Yeah. I'm always like, if I stink, tell me. If I have something in my teeth, tell me. If I'm making a bad decision, tell me. The other day... I called you and I I wanted to try to establish when we were going to watch the movie that we watched for today's episode. And I was, I had competing thoughts or two, two different things that I wanted to take care of at once, but I didn't really want to involve you or make you feel like you were forcing me to make a decision. So I tried to avoid like telling you that I had a competing obligation and you're like, something's going on. What are you not telling me? (laughs) Yeah. It drives me nuts. You fucking heard it in my voice immediately. And I was like, fuck, I can't, I can't hide anything from Tony. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I'm like super heightened. I have spidey senses for lying by omission. Right. Do you ever wish you could turn off your empathy? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Like there are definitely some times where I'm like, I, I noticed myself doing it recently where I'll be like, in my head, I'll say, I don't care. <laughs> I've realized every time I say, I don't care. Yeah. It's just me pretending. I wish I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, sometimes it's about someone. They'll be like, yeah, so so-and-so is like not treating me well. And I'm in my head, I'm like, I don't care about this. But I'm just saying that because my logical brain is going, 
don't use up your, like we've talked about, your limited bucket of empathy. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you have to spare it for those you truly care about. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed I do it for myself, where like the other day I was going for a walk and my hand was extremely weak that time. And it was taking me an exceptionally long time to cross the street to the point where, you know, a car was basically waiting for me to finish so that he could move, even though it was a green light. And it wasn't like I, oh, like, you know, I, I started crossing as soon as the light turned green. Mm-hmm. It just took me so long because I was so weak. And in my head, I heard myself going, I don't care. It's fine. It's fine. I, I don't care. But yeah. I realized that was just me going, oh, shit, I need to, like, figure something out about this. That happened to me um, five years ago or so with my walker. I used to go for walks around my neighborhood, like just a little horseshoe and a couple of blocks down the down the way to the bike path. And I never usually went more than a few kilometers, but I would go by myself and some aspects of my condition that can get worse, like my hip dysplasia gets a little worse over time. So I, I just basically end up looking more and more crooked, like below the like chest and in my pelvis. It kind of looks like I'm not sitting correctly on a permanent basis but that causes me like balance issues and i get i get like a lack of confidence in my ability to stand like especially as i get more and more fatigued while i'm walking yeah. i noticed that at the end of my walks like really the hardest thing to do was to i guess like conquer a a, a sidewalk curb and i didn't like walking along the road for a particular stretch because there's like a decent amount of traffic in that area and you never know when you'll get caught behind a car that's like rude or impatient or, or, or impatient or whatever. So it got to the point a couple of times in my walk where I would, I would get like dreadfully nervous about falling and then I would seize, like I would, I would get stuck like yeah. on a downward incline, like at the, at the base of a curb, like just before you actually go down it because I'd be afraid of hitting the curb like too slowly and then and then nose diving and then like absorbing the fall with my face because you can't put your arms out quick quick enough right because they're holding on to the walker yeah so you basically feel like you're like a human slash uh grocery cart combination and that your will is sort of tied to wherever the fucking walker is going to and when i when i would get stuck like this on these sidewalks I would be afraid of taking the next step for fear of just slowly tipping over. I would be standing there for like five or six minutes, just sort of frozen. And I'd, I'd basically either wait until a passersby noticed and they'd just come over and like, I'd ask them to like hold my right arm periodically. And then I could just, if I could just get over the curb, then I could complete the walk. But I, I, it took me so long. Like that had to happen a half dozen times before I finally just conceded that I couldn't basically walk by myself anymore. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like I, I, I have that too, where you just, you wait way too long. Like I, I know I should be addressing this thing where my chair isn't probably controlled the way I can optimally control it now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I go through that every time my hand gets weak and I'm slowly crossing the street 
Or I do what you do and I'm like picturing, oh, what if I accidentally just veered off this curb, tipped over, and then a car comes and watermelons my skull. Mm -hmm. Like I, I go all the way to the end in my train of thought. And then I reel it back and then go, okay, well, what is going to actually happen mm -hmm. before I make that call? Yeah, like what, what will be the turning point where you recognize that you have to change the way that you use your chair? Yeah, like am I actually going to drive off a curb? No. For you, did you ever have an, an incident where you fell or something actually happened? Or were you always just sort of on the cusp? No, it's just that I got really tired of that feeling of fear. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I can swallow my pride. The point that I'm like, the point of walking in the first place is just to move. It's not to do this by myself. There's no harm in walking with another person. Plenty of people walk with a partner when they, or go to the gym with a partner or whatever. And I'm not ashamed of my mom. I'm, I'm super proud of her. I can walk with her wherever. And, you know, my dad is a fucking trooper, like any time of the day, any day of the week. And sure, Joe, let's go for a little walk. And he'll just take me wherever the fuck and doesn't care. So for you, it was just bringing someone with you. Yeah, it was just. Uh, yeah. OK. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty fair. Do you, are you able to talk while you're walking or is it too physically exerting? That's a funny, funny question. Um, it depends how fast I'm walking and how far along I am in, in that particular like exertion. Right. But talking and walking is incredibly hard. Yeah, in fact, in fact, doing anything physical with my body and anything else simultaneously is almost impossible. Hmm. Um, I wish I could think of a funny example where I get. I, I was trying to picture like putting you on the stairs and giving you a controller to play like Rocket League or putting you on a treadmill or something. But I was like, you don't have enough hands. Exactly. But it's actually kind of like a small social interaction that I dread. Because in fact, um, a couple of years ago during the summer, I would go to the mall to walk because, you know, like mall linoleum floors are generally easy on my shoulders. You can glide super quickly. So you feel like the flash. Yeah. Like you can kind of walk at pace with other people because it's probably like those expectation versus reality things though. Yeah, like, yeah. Look how fast I'm moving. Yeah. And like you, you take like a wide shot of you in real time and you're like in the same place where you started. Yeah. The person that got off the bus with you is now purchased everything they wanted and getting back on the bus and you're just getting through the door. I'm covered in sweat and my mom is like barely like she's on a chair beside you reading a book. <laughs> it's not even a wheelchair. It's just a chair. Yeah. Just a chair. Doesn't have wheels. <laughs> she's like knitting and the scarf is finished. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it's totally an expectation versus reality thing. And like, there's a little part of you that is kind of thrilled to be moving that quickly. You feel like a kid, like who's 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 just learned to ride their bike yeah. like in the summer season in first grade or something. But it, the point I was trying to make was that like when I would go on these walks in the mall, I do like a dozen laps around the place and then I would see somebody that I know and I'd be just covered in sweat and like super breathing heavy. And oftentimes it's like someone because I'm from a small town. So you run into every walk of life and there's there's people from every stage of your life. 
you're liable to like run into your like third grade teacher and they still know your name and they remember what you were like as a kid. And so, so you have to not only like, I, I have to not only walk, but then have this like involved conversation with someone and try to be courteous toward them. Yeah. I can't do it. And I, <laughs> I don't want them to think that I'm like bowing out of the discussion because my disability has progressed to the point where I can't have small talk with them in the mall or something like that. You know what I mean? One, I told you this story about, did I ever mention this story on the podcast about how my, my friend ran into our sixth grade teacher. She was asking what our lives were like lately. And she was surprised that I was still alive. Did I ever tell you that story? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh my God. That crushed my soul. I basically encompass it right there in that anecdote but yeah she was surprised that i was still alive did she actually go like wow i didn't think so yeah exactly (laughs) that's bizarre because like your did your disability get noticeably worse during your like four years in school or whatever my back might have got more crooked so again when i'm sitting i probably look a little bit more worse for wear yeah, but that doesn't make you look like you're about to die. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, you would hope. I, I mean, I mean, maybe if I have like you know a greasy meal and I'm a little bloated, I might look sickly. <laughs> maybe I had nothing to do with your disability. And they're like, well, I mean, based on the number of goldfish you ate, I thought it was over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like the one time it's not about your disability at all. No, but I have the same fear, like especially in the winter. Well, generally, my friends know I'm not really going for a walk in the winter. Uh, I'm going to meet them at the destination, which is going to be indoors. Mm -hmm. Um, But in like spring or fall, I I usually start myself a bit early in the spring or push myself a bit late in the fall. And so I start to dread those moments where a friend is like, all right, I'll come over meet you at your place, and then we'll walk to whatever destination. In my head, I'm the whole time we're walking from my place to there, I'm doing the talk and I'm having a small talk, but 75% of my brain cycles are going to, don't drive off this curb, is your hand is okay, if you need the help, he will help you, it's not a big deal, you can ask oh. for help. And like, it's just that cycle. So you're like me on that fucking sidewalk curb. Exactly. And, and, and you have to feign like, you know, funny, like casual Tony. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, well, part of it is just, I don't want, I'm in denial, right? Yeah. But then part of it is, I, I feel like, and this is just my stuff. None of my friends would ever make me feel this way. Yeah. For sure. But it's just, I'm always like, if I get to a point where I'm like, hey, sorry, my hand is so cold. Do you mind doing whatever, driving me or moving my hand or whatever? In my head, I'm like, if I do that too many times, they're going to be like, oh, I shouldn't ask him to come out with me. This is too hard for him. Yeah, they're going to start excluding you because they make the judgment that involving you is impractical. Yeah. I have the same like kind of fear in the summer, like with my friends who go out and stay at their cottages. Right. Because like, you know, Thunder Bay is like kind of like beautiful cottage country. And a number of my friends have like really nice properties and they go out like, you know, a couple times a week. And I love going out there, even though it's a huge pain in the ass to get a wheelchair on a pontoon boat 
or a spastic body on a sea-do or whatever. Yep. I love I love it because it's like, I don't know, it's this whole other experience that is unlike anything else. And you make a memory every single time you go out. I would say, though, but, uh, if you recorded it and uploaded it, calling a YouTube video a spastic body on a sea-do would be an instant viral video. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Yeah. I, I would watch it a million times. There's uh, honestly like I am terrified when I'm on like uh, a small boat in tight quarters because I just think like one good wave is going to like absolutely throw me off the boat. Like all my body will just plank and I'll just like fly a uh, fly off the fucking yeah. vessel. And my friends like they think it's funny because they see the look on my face and they love me. And like, you know, your good friends like love when you're being tortured a little. And but they just like don't understand how little control I have over my body when I'm scared, you know, and they, they right. won't understand until I'm in the water, like gasping for air, and, yeah. like screaming at them. And like they're identifying your body at the morgue. They're like, I guess that was a bad choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No more spastics on CDUs, bro. Yeah. I mean, I do have friends also who will be like, all right, here's what's happening. We're going to a water park and we're. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to get a thing. We're going to strap your head into a, uh, a a chair that will hold you in the beach or whatever. Yeah. And they're like coming up with all these solutions. I find that super awesome and endearing because they're not thinking, oh, it's, I don't want to put them through the embarrassment or emotional discomfort or physical discomfort of going on this journey so we'll just figure out a way to make it work. And it's also nice because usually in those situations, and no fault of theirs, it's just they don't have a frame of reference, but people will be like, all right, so if we wanted to do this, how would we do it? And it's it's me having to figure out all of the logistics. Uh-huh. So sometimes it is nice when someone, even if maybe I can come up with a plan that might suit me better. Yeah. It's uh, it's just nice to know that they're trying to take some of that on. Oh, yeah. And I should stress to you, like my friends, like hardly like I hardly ever get excluded from any outing that, that like my um, closest group of guys ever go on. Yeah, they work really hard to include me and they like they never make it feel like a burden. And like I I love them like my my buddy's bachelor party. Several years ago in in uh, 2018, I had like one of the best times of my life. Yeah. It wasn't because of the alcohol. It was because of the people and the location and just like all the fucking hijinks and just the reassurance that that amount of fun can happen and it can feel totally unburdened and like disability is furthest from both my mind and anyone else's. It's just like, it's so freeing. It's yeah, fucking amazing. I'm I'm so grateful. Yeah, for those people. Well, it's also it really doesn't matter so much what I'm doing. I'm happy to you know be wherever doing whatever, literally doing nothing if I'm with the right people. Yeah, exactly. So once you're with that group of friends that you know, like it's just you can be completely yourself and everything's awesome and there's no weird pretext or anything. Yeah. And you're you're in that that group with those people. Mm-hmm. It really to me doesn't matter what we're doing. So like, 
even in situations like, you know, when people are like, all right, so we'll put you in the chair, we'll stir up your head in, we'll do all this stuff. If none of that works out and I end up just tagging along for the ride, yeah, I'm never going to have a bad time. Yeah. Because I'm just with them having a good time because I'm with them. And sometimes I have a hard time explaining that because I think a lot of people think I'm just trying to be polite and easygoing. Mm-hmm. But I really genuinely care more about who I'm with than what I'm doing. Like, I, I'm so happy to just chill with people that I'm having a good time with. I don't need to live for the story of what we did at the end of it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And like, and it's like evidenced by like your presence in the group and what you contribute to the group dynamic that, that like, that's, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like even, even if they just like blew up, like, you know, an inflated rubber, rubber ducky, like waterbed and threw you on it. Yeah. And, and they're just like swimming around you or whatever Yeah, while you're like sipping a pina colada or, you know, in a reclined position, right. like it doesn't matter. Just as long as Tony's there and Tony's talking and exactly. people are enjoying Tony, the person. Yeah. And I think that they only want to try to make sure I'm having a good time yeah. because they know that's when I will be myself and then I'll be the guy that they were hoping would show up. One sort of thing. Okay. So the movie that we watched this week was one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Um, and like, I, I suppose that's like tenuously a disability movie. It's about a, about a bunch of men uh, with, with mental illness uh, in an institution. And the main character is a petty thief. And I believe he commits statutory rape. And in order to get out of... Was this like coming from an anecdote or are we just switching gears? No, we're not switching gears. I was going to actually try to create an anecdote from what we were just talking about. Okay, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the main character, he basically like infiltrates a mental hospital because he doesn't want to... He wants to get out of like prison duty, essentially. And just by the nature of his crimes and why he's there, like he's ostensibly like uh, an immoral and kind of ugly person, but he's our protagonist for this film. Anyway, he spends a lot of time with the patients of this mental hospital and they all sort of like the movie is like slow and very pensive. And so you get a real feel for the passage of time and for like the sheer loneliness that befalls these these people who are like sort of like dubiously mentally ill. Um, but anyway, this movie kind of gives you the sense that uh, these people haven't really had an opportunity in their lives to kind of like fully express themselves. Right. And they've been they haven't quite had the opportunity to break out of their institutional lifestyle. Yeah, they're caught up in like the routine of the daily life. Yes, exactly. And they are so sort of like subsumed by the... Wait, can I have a Jamie dictionary check? What is the difference between subsumed and consumed? I don't know. Okay. Sometimes I say subsumed and sometimes I say consumed. I don't know the difference. All right, fair enough. Sorry, guys, I'm a fraud. It's true. (laughs) And that's the longest word he ever used again. (laughs) But yeah, like you really get the sense that it's not just that these people have like mental health problems, but that they don't know that there could be a better life or, or they, they don't necessarily know who they are because right. they haven't had that have haven't had those opportunities of self-discovery. 
and like the terms of their care have been so involved that they've been mostly focused on just like getting through the day. And so this, this like petty thief like comes into their lives and he basically uses like traditional uh, like male archetypes of fun to try to introduce them to like living larger and kind of better and sort of like quote unquote forgetting that they are mentally ill. And I, I feel like disabled people kind of go through a very similar arc yeah. if they don't like if they don't leave the nest or if they get too sort of comfortable in their in their daily rituals, even if it's in like an academic setting like Carleton University or whatever, it's like your your the terms of your care can can take over your life if you don't make a concentrated effort to assert yourself and to to reach out and to have a meaningful social life and to be a person. And I think when, when we talk about our anxieties of like not being able to use our walkers or, or drive our chairs, we're actually talking about keeping a hold of our, of our autonomy and of what makes us people in spite of our disabilities and what allows us to not be limited by them. Yeah. Uh, I've been feeling this actually quite a bit lately where I've been nesting a bit, you know, where like I'll be buying art to put on the walls or like lights to decorate my balcony or something. Yeah. And I always have this weird internal struggle between making my life comfortable and my environment comfortable. But I'm very hyper aware of that, where if I get too comfortable, I won't want to leave. Yeah. Are you also like self-conscious about making your environment look able-bodied? Maybe not in those terms, but I guess like I do think I try to make it look like even though he's disabled, he can still have a nice apartment or something. Which is a real expectation that people have. Like if you're disabled, like people don't expect you to have nice living spaces right. that are unique to you. Because it's usually expected to be some extension of a hospital. Right, because it's too high maintenance to make sure that all your photos are hung up properly and that like the upholstery on your, your couches is clean yeah. or whatever other sort of like general maintenance tasks you require. I mean, I've told you this. I've had people literally complain about cleaning a couch cushion or something. Right. And so... Like in one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like the 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 sort of toxic power dynamics that occur between caretaker and client, like really rear themselves. Yeah, it was really easy for me to draw those parallels between this institution and my current situation. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a very skeptical and a little bit jaded comparison, you can make the few steps to get there. It's definitely not the same thing, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm living in an assignment. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can take a few mental leaps that are crazy, and you can get there. Right, yeah. There's this whole power struggle between Jack Nicholson and, and the main sort of warden of uh, his wing of the hospital, Nurse Ratchet, who by now has been sort of like extra vilified and made famous by... Uh, spin-off TV shows and all that kind of crap really? that I haven't really watched. Although I really like Sarah Paulson as an actress. Nurse Ratchet has a TV show. She does. Yeah. It's like, 
this isn't actually the case, but it feels like you you know how we need like a Marvel Cinematic Universe and a Universal Pictures Monsters Cinematic Universe. It feels like we're all just sort of like ripping off the various pop cultural canons yeah. that people can easily identify and trying to make them into longer form TV shows that are spread so thin and so fucking uninspired that it's just really fucking depressing. That's like the same thing with anything though. The other day I realized there's a YouTube channel dedicated entirely to a guy testing various toothbrushes. He does a toothbrush uh-huh. and he has this like charcoal or some weird thing that he puts in his mouth to stain his teeth and then he brushes his teeth and he checks before and after. It's a whole thing. And then there's also like people who dive into water and they're like, get this brand if you want a great pH in your water. This brand doesn't use the right bottling technique so it's a little acidic and not good, blah, blah, blah. Like because of the sheer amount of content, you can just dive deep into any one thing and you can fall into a rabbit hole about literally anything. I think there's a bit of a difference between like movie production companies and studios like doing their best to recycle identifiable products in order to keep making money and like people on YouTube getting niche audiences by, you know, testing out toothbrushes. There's far less cynicism in the latter than the former. Yeah, I guess. But isn't it like the same thing? Like how different is it from a, a studio making a Nurse Ratchet spinoff than a company selling like Rocky Mountain air in a bottle, in a can? I don't know how to answer that question. Like isn't the same like weird, you're just like hyper invested into this one vertical trying to milk it for all it's worth? I think, I think when it comes to YouTubers, I think people just sort of latch on to per- various personalities that they like. There's like a candidness to them and it, and it sort of fills a void of like contemporary loneliness that seems to afflict people of late. Yeah. It's more about, it's, it's more like, like miniature cults of personality rather than like, you know, like movie studios have the power to tell wonderful stories that stay with us like as a species for forever and ever and like actually speak to our experience and like you know validate that there is a collective a collective or or shared aspect to to our consciousness and yet they 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 don't do that they just they just want to give us what what they think we want they want to come up with the perfect formula for the perfect product whereas the truth is that nobody knows what they want we're all just trying to feel connected. I totally agree with you that uh, YouTube is far, far and away better as a platform than traditional like cable and other means, just because of the fact that there's, you know, it's it's more direct and you can just basically get to know a person, get to know who they are. But I think just because of capitalism or whatever it is, them diving deep down the nurse ratchet rabbit hole to mine it for everything it's worth isn't super dissimilar to someone who makes a video on YouTube and then it makes a million views or a hundred million views and they're like, oh, okay, I'll just keep making more of these videos to make more money on this content, right? It's, It's like the same kind of thing. It's just 
obviously on a way different scale. Maybe, I suppose. Anyway, the whole thing about the Nurse Ratchet series is that it's kind of antithetical to why the Nurse Ratchet character is even appealing in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like the one thing that sort of struck me about this movie was that, like, as I said before, like it's filled with all with all the various like mental illness, mental illness sort of tropes that you expect um, just like in, in its portrait of, of the hospital itself and like how the, how the rooms, the interior spaces of the hospital are exactly as you picture them in your mind's eye over like decades of cultural osmosis of like, you know, what a psych ward looks like, but, but nurse ratchet is, is quite, puzzling to me and, and interesting because her 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 method of authoritarianism or her her exercising of control is so profoundly subtle that she can scarcely be accused of even being evil even at the point where she drives one of the residents to suicide she just sort of looks like this plain slate like so plain it's like the fucking banality of evil you know and that is kind of what it feels like to go up against the people that like ostensibly have control over your life when you're dependent on caretakers. Yeah. Like they just sort of downplay your needs uh, until you kind of give up asserting for them. And I think that's what this movie kind of nails. And don't get me wrong. Like there are some, like this movie has some major sexism at play and, and, and Jack, Nich- Jack Nicholson is like an ass. You know, like if this movie was made today, Nurse Ratchet would be the hero and it would be Jack who is like the toxic piece of shit that harasses her as she tries to meaningfully like administer like cognitive behavioral therapy and like like a like a non uh, harmful regimen of, you know, care. The the tables would be turned, I think. Anyway, that's kind of a malformed idea. Um, no, I think you're right. Like, because uh, even in this movie... He was, it starts off with him, basically, he's a, a rapist, like a statutory rapist. Yeah, and the, the movie downplays that, like he... Hugely, he, you're supposed to be on his side for the whole movie. Right. But just forget the fact that he's raping children. The, he, the movie sort of opens with his uh, being interviewed by the uh, headmaster of the hospital, I guess, just this doctor, who has a very candid conversation with him about his previous crimes and who like openly questions right at the start uh whether he's like exploiting the system to get out of work etc etc but then they have this like kind of boys will be boys conversation and it's kind of fascinating because because jack nicholson is such a a gregarious and charismatic individual like just as an actor but also in character um he kind of charms the doctor and you can tell and there's this distinction between any time in the movie where jack nicholson is talking to like a warden of the hospital or a nurse or a doctor where they like they're talking man to man man to man right like uh they they clearly see themselves as above the the women in the film like the the, the nurses and it, they're it's kind of like a between you and me conversation yeah. all throughout um, there's just this like through line of constant misogyny in the movie that you that would be pro- that could be like super interestingly deconstructed by somebody like you know Jordan Peele or I don't know like Sofia Coppola or uh, Patty Jenkins 
someone should take one flew over the cuckoo's nest and turn the tables and create a a sympathetic nurse ratchet. You know, not someone who uses narcotics to like to basically like uh, disarm a bunch of people who have mental health problems, but someone who actually cares and then gets harassed by a Jack Nicholson type. Okay, let's go back to the comparison between this institution, I, I don't know, as asylum and an assisted living facility for someone with a physical disability. When I was watching this movie, there's actually a little bit of a comparison between this movie and Inside I'm Dancing. It's almost like the mental disability version where I would say that I liked Inside I'm Dancing 50 times better, but maybe because it's also closer to home. But basically, in that movie, Inside I'm Dancing, James McAvoy's character kind of comes in, manic picks a dream really, and tries to bring people out of their sort of sheltered mindset. That's Yeah, that's very true. And then in this movie, Jack Nicholson, albeit under the guise of how are we supposed to sympathize with this character, he sounds like the worst. Yeah. Uh, does the same thing. Yeah, he does. He he like introduces uh, his co-patients to a bunch of like male rites of passage. He sneaks them off of the campus to go fishing. He um, he plays basketball with them. Uh, they go swimming together. Um, and like he he petitions Nurse Ratchet repeatedly just to be able to watch the game. And he like gambles with them. So ba- he basically like you get the sense that he does actually care for these guys, that he sort of sees their lot in life and like wants to introduce some joy. Um, and and like the friction that he comes against in just trying to allow these these men to feel human, like is 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 fascinating. But also kind of the fact that we are expected to to empathize for Jack and to see him as a humor, as a hero is kind of more interesting to me than if the movie was trying to say that he was a piece of shit, like in a culture shock kind of a sense, like when you're watching Mad Men and like Don Draper is like super condescending toward Betty or Peggy before she sort of climbs the unofficial hierarchy at Sterling Cooper. It's like that uh, culture shock there, there's there's like a rawness to it and just like the the lack of the movie sort of trying to steer you a, away from it or whatever I don't know yeah like, it's it's very raw right mm-hmm. you're not forced into any emotional opinion you kind of get to decide the whole way through who you care about who you don't and it's fluid they're not you're you're not really expected to have a stake or a horse in the race. Uh-huh. At, at any point in the movie. Yeah. I hadn't seen the movie before. I knew about the Nurse Ratchet trope, I guess. I I knew that she was supposed to be the worst. Well, actually, I didn't know that. I remember knowing someone, an ex, who oh. got often referred to as Nurse Ratchet. Well, who would refer to her as Nurse Ratchet? Like mutual friends of yours? Or like her coworkers? I think either other coworkers or clients because she was like uh, in the healthcare system. Oh, and so she was like subtly abusive, but you didn't really know what the... what Because the I didn't know what Nurse Roger was, 
I thought, oh, she's just a famous nurse. That's pretty cool. And you just like never bothered to look it up? No, I mean, I was like, whatever. And at the very least, uh, even if I, even if it was like a negative thing, I would have yeah. been like, oh, that's just a bitter person or something. Like I, I had the, the rose colored glasses on already, so it didn't matter. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, because you're sensitive to red flags and platonic relationships, but I could totally see you just like overlooking it in that particular case. I'm really good at picking them out in my own platonic relationships, mm-hmm. and really good at picking them out for other people. But as soon as there becomes like a romantic element for myself, I don't know, I lose the cone in my eye that can see red. Yeah, I discovered that I'm actually that way via my most recent relationship, actually. It's like a pretty difficult thing to come to terms with. Yeah, I I don't even think it's that we don't know that there are red flags. Yeah. We just choose to ignore them. We don't want them to be red. We only see white. We're both, especially you, are very good at like thinking and like rationalizing thoughts. So when you get into those situations, it's really easy to just be like, to explain away all of those things. Mm -hmm. I've even had cases where I've known that I have a toxic person in my life, but I keep looking at the things about them that are good because I think there's some toxicity in myself and far be it from me not to forgive others for being that way. And so you just, you tolerate you tolerate like a certain amount of abuse within a certain boundary yeah. and you're like, that's okay. But if it ever breaches this point, I will probably blow the fuck up at this person. Yeah. Which is such an unhealthy way to look at it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, did you, and maybe this is beside the, the comparison to disability, but did you get the sense like, okay, so like Nurse Ratchet is like almost indisputably deplorable. Yeah. Like throughout the film, there are a number of therapy sessions that occur and they seem to be sort of structureless. And like she, she's sort of at the helm of them where she will ask, you know, one of the clients at the hospital how they're feeling and, you know, how they're coping with the subset of issues that sort of brought them there in the first place. She'll ask somebody about, you know, what their latest thoughts are toward their significant other or uh, about their mother or whatever it is, you know, that triggers them. And then she doesn't really seem to kind of engage in meaningful uh, therapy or, or, or follow-up questions to really get at the heart of what's bothering them. And I don't know if it's just a product of the time, like, you know, of the state of mental health care in 1975, but it feels more like she's, She's she's creating these group discussions in order to rustle or ruffle the feathers of uh, of of her patients. Yeah, she's totally antagonistic. That's her whole thing. And, and again, it's like her her face is like incredibly deadpan. She kind of reminds me of like um, Hal Nine Thousand or you know like Javier Bardem's character from No Country for Old Men. She's just like this like banal sort of like. Um, indisturbable force of evil you feel it but you don't quantify it so that's what i was that's what i was getting at earlier is when i when i knew this i was dating this person and people should be like oh someone's gonna call me nurse ratchet today she didn't even say it like it was a bad thing like she almost took it in jest so i never really thought about it and you know you know that it's like so easy when someone says something about someone you care about and even if it is a red flag that you're ignoring, you'll just be like, 
oh, they just don't know you the way I know you or something. Yeah, like, like you, you want to side with them immediately because you feel they do the same for you. Right. And so I, I never considered it to be evil or whatever. And then I was watching this movie, and even at the beginning of the movie, Nurse Ratchet isn't immediately a vile person. Mm-hmm. She just kind of comes off as maybe she's just doing her job. Yeah. Maybe she just is cold and indifferent. Maybe she's just been around the block too many times to care about everyone. And all of those things I see in my real life with certain care people yeah. who, you know, it's, it's just, they're not maybe mean. They just, their emotional, their empathy bucket is empty. Yeah. Or they have an appropriate amount of armor between them and some of the uglier realities of what they have to do on a daily basis. Right. It's like a shield that they have to put up yeah. in order to continue to come to work every day. Yeah, there's also like sort of an element of the uncanny toward Nurse Ratchet because the 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 camera's like obsessed with the close-up shots of her face and her eyes. And her eyes look so dead, like almost to the point and her where hair. Like, yeah, her hair is like arranged in, in this like dual bun that makes it seem like she has like devil horns. So stupid. I'm sure I didn't read into that. Like I double checked with you as well. No, it it was like so obvious. Yeah. Because it wasn't a good hairstyle by any means. And no. it was a hairstyle where if you think about her, who Nurse Ratchet is as a person, uh-huh. and then you go back home with her, she falls asleep and then wakes up in the morning. Uh-huh. You think she's spending 30 minutes to make her hair look like that before she comes to work to like destroy people's emotional health? <laughs> She's like, I have to instill with them the fear of the devil. (laughs) You don't understand, uh, husband. A little on the nose or on the horns. (laughs) Okay, Tony, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see, what else? Um, I realize when you say moving on, you have no idea where to move to. I don't. I still want to compare it to, well, Inside I'm Dancing or... I Care A Lot, maybe? Yeah, I want to say where I live, but I don't want to be specific to my place because I think my experience is probably shared by many in similar situations. So wouldn't it be helpful to share in that case? Well, yeah, but I also don't want to put on blast anyone. Can you figure out a crafty way to allude to the example you have in your head currently? Yeah, I'm working on it. Well, you also know because you've lived in this place before Mm -hmm. um, and maybe aspire to live here again despite all of its flaws. Yeah, Jack Nicholson would think I was crazy. Yeah, that's kind of part of it. So maybe you can set up the chief, because I have a quote that might help us sum it up. Okay, so the chief is um, uh, the nickname of a resident of the hospital that uh, Jack Nicholson sort of gravitates toward. He's kind of fascinated by by the chief uh, because of his sheer size. And I think because of his like, solemn stoic nature he's like determined to find out if there's a if there's a real person underneath his like veneer of like uh dull and potentially stupid yeah so yeah there's a there's a degree of like you know racism in this portrait which is a product of its time and yada 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 um it's still a really compelling character and i think he's supposed to be 
kind of uh, like a, a compliment to Jack Nicholson because sort of the way that the way that Jack fights authority in this film is to be himself as emphatically and honestly and unflinchingly as possible. He just like his every fiber is pushing against um, proper etiquette and expectation and like all of the rules that are placed upon him. So you get the sense that even if he didn't con his way into a mental mental institution, he would be reproducing this dynamic with any form of authority, you know, be it a police officer or a boss or a teacher or anyone that has some sort of like hierarchical advantage above him. You know, how dare you think yourself better than me because I'm an everyman and just through virtue of my silliness and my desire to, you know, get the most out of life and ask questions like I am your equal, which is, you know, maybe valid, except for the fact that he's a fucking rapist. <laughs> anyway, so the chief is is the opposite of that. He kind of fights what oppresses him by refusing to show his oppressors who he is. And he locks himself away in protest. I think. And so Jack finds a kind of kindred spirit in him in their mutual recognition that where they are is fucked up. And they sort of throughout the film have a series of candid conversations, even though the chief prefers to remain mute for most other people. Right. There's a moment where Jack Nicholson is like kind of had enough of it and he decides he's leaving. He's it's basically set up that he has already put in all the necessary groundwork on the outside that he can just leave whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. And he's done what he came to do, and it's time for him to go. So he's about to make the call, but he decides to, of course, try to include the chief, seeing as he probably is the one who has the most potential to thrive and succeed on the outside. Yeah, because he sees a lot of himself in the chief. Right. So it's a super quick quote that I have, but it kind of cuts to a little bit of what I wanted to talk about. Sure. I gotta get out of here. I can't. That's literally the whole quote, because I don't want to go into the whole spiel that he gives. Okay. But the I want to get out of here, I can't, is... A thing that I've gone through so many times. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, I think I go through it on a daily basis. And you and I have so many conversations about, um, first of all, you leaving your current care environment to yeah. to go on direct funding because you want to escape the regiment that has been imposed upon you that totally limits your lifestyle, even though if you are not disabled, you like you should be able to afford everything that all of your effort, you know, should yield. That Yeah, that's crazy. There's two things that you brought up. One is that for the amount of money I make at my job, yeah, it's enough that I should be able to live pretty comfortably. Yeah, but you still live kind of like impoverished in particular ways. Because my life is inherently expensive because yes. of my disability. Yeah. And so there's that. So I'm I'm kind of like trying to keep my life minimal in a lot of ways to compensate for that. You're trying to keep your life minimal so you can hold on to your money. Right. 
so you can somehow spend it sometime in some magical on some magical occasion where the, the opportunity arises. No, and I I fully appreciate the irony and struggle with it daily. Where I'm yeah. like, like I had a conversation with a financial advisor where I was like, I got to be honest, I'm not really that interested in the whole long term investing because statistically, I'm never going to see that money. Yeah, exactly. I think about that all the, all the fucking time too. Like in 20 years, yeah. when I can finally start using my uh, my disability savings plan, yeah, I might have a very shitty quality of life. It's more than 20 years, by the way. Like, yeah. It, it's like another 30 years for you. How, how many fucking 65-year-old cerebral palsy wheelies are there, let alone you know people with spinal muscular atrophy? I don't I, see them. I saw a couple on yo. fucking... Crip camp, but those people are celebrities. Well, yeah, because they're so rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a video like a few years ago, and the whole video was look at this guy with SMA, he's 45. <laughs> that was the whole video. It's like the the prime minister of you know how the prime minister of Canada like writes a personalized letter to to anyone who reaches their centennial. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you have SMA, you get your fucking centennial. When you're like 40. Yeah. Yeah, Tony's like, actually, I'm supposed to get mine in six months. It's let me tell you, man, it is not easy to tell to have a conversation with a financial advisor about how you don't want to save for long-term goals because yeah. statistically you don't care without sounding depressed or yeah. like up, upset about it. Like I, you I need to go visit like, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to be like, I, honestly, like. You know, I want to put a bit because, you know, I've already outlived expectations. So maybe I'll live to be 65. Sure. Yeah. But let's be realistic here. I want to see that money do something for me before I go. Otherwise, I mean, like, obviously it's fine if I don't and I can give it to a family member or whoever or an organization or something. That's Mm -hmm. totally an acceptable way to use it. But. I'd also like to be able to see and use the fruits of my labor. So, uh, you know, dial it up up front. And so, yeah, having that conversation with someone who doesn't fully get you is really tough because you don't want it to instantly turn into a pity thing. You don't want to instantly turn it into like, do they push a button under their desk where like a psychiatrist knocks on your door? The fucking Matt Lauer button, they lock the door behind you until you agree not to kill yourself? Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. I want to get out of here, but I can't. I want to get out of here. You know, I think we've talked enough about it that it's a pretty clear picture of why. Oh, yeah. But I can't. Maybe we've talked about that enough, too. But, you know, first of all, maybe I could get out of here right now and make it work. Maybe. It's a big maybe still because there are definitely times, you know, like a a week ago, was it, where I called you to tell you the hilarious story about me getting trapped on my balcony because my hand fell off the joystick? Yeah, we we missed our recording time because you were stuck on your own balcony. (laughs) That's like... Because my hand fell off the joystick and I couldn't put it back up and there was no way for me to call for help because I was outside. Tony, I don't want to sound bougie, but you get paid too much money to get stuck on your own balcony. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also hyper aware that, okay, let's say I get a perfect safety net 
where one of my direct funding staff is five minutes away or 10 minutes away or whatever. And, you know, I can basically manage the way I'm managing now, but without all the imposed limitations of staff have been reporting that your showers or whatever. I don't know. I would, I'd love to get away from all that so that I can focus on being a person. I, I would love to issue a survey to all disabled people over the age of 18. I'm pretty sure all of them listen to this. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and just like ask them if they have the same anxiety about le- leaving their current care environment. Like, right. it, First of all, if they have aspirations of something better. And then secondly, if they are afraid more so than, you know, whether or not it's actually doable, because I have the same problem as well, where, you know, I have a job that I enjoy in Thunder Bay, but there's several needs that I have that I'm just like kind of not addressing. I I have no, I do not want to be living with my parents at all. I would rather be recording this with you in the same fucking room. And I don't want to be bougie or anything, but you make way too much money to be living with your parents. Yeah, in, in in a fucking garage. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And so, but the thing is, like, I have that same problem. And so when Jack Nicholson is, like, totally aghast that, like, half the residents in one floor over the cuckoo's nest are in the hospital willingly, like, you know, they're in this dysfunctional, this dysfunctional environment willingly. It's so incredibly relatable that it justifies this episode immediately. Yeah. Exactly. Like, we don't need to talk about any other moment in the movie besides that one. Right. That's the only quote that I pulled. <laughs> <laughs> there was a two and a half hour movie. <laughs> you pulled like four words. Yeah. <laughs> and I cut it down. Because <laughs> the actual quote, he says, I want to get out of here. And then it's like a seven second pause before... <laughs> The chief responds, I can't. <laughs> so I was like, I can't wait for seven seconds. No way. <laughs> That's way too bloated of a quote. So part of it is, okay, it's obvious. We both want to leave. For me, a big part of it is my disability gets worse fairly rapidly these days over time. Yeah. And so that branches off again into two things. Well, I might as well make the most of it right now, try to just Uh get everything on my bucket list checked off. And the other part is, well, I should live a bit safe, knowing that as soon as I move out of here and I begin to need more and more care, direct funding will eventually not become an option for me. And a place like this will be the only option besides an asylum or a nursing home or some kind of long-term care home. A gulag. Uh, yeah. yeah, where I'm literally in someone's basement and they just throw uh, porridge under the door every day and that's my meal. And then Rosamund Pike comes and collects all your money from you. Right, Yeah, because she's lobotomized me so I can't think for myself. Okay, so there's Rosamund Pike and Nurse Ratchet, and we just conflated the two. Yeah, I was trying to bring it back to ice. Oh, uh, okay, okay. So you did that deliberately. Oh, you're being clever. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I suck. Just, I know, it's fair. It doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so, yeah, because, you know, as we probably explained, I live in a super nice apartment within a care facility. But your apartment is nice because you live there, not because 
Your apartment is nice. Well, I mean, it has a nice view. I have a balcony. There are things that I didn't do to myself. It has a nice, it has a dope cat and it has lots of really cool electronics. And I didn't make my cat awesome. It just happened. Well, it probably just, it, it just like rubbed up against you and became awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is very hairy as a result. <laughs> but it's really hard to want to give it up because. <laughs> I'm still laughing at the hair joke. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we've talked about how motherfucking hairy I am. We we talk about every episode how hairy you are, Tony. Okay, okay. Just start wearing fucking V-Dex already. Show the women all that fucking hair, dude. I I wear V-Dex the minute I don't have the hair on my neck. Excuse me? That's the whole point of the V-Neck. I have to shave my neck. What are you talking about? Yeah. You don't shave that shit. It's gold. No, I shave it because if I don't, my beard is a turtleneck. Kate, the only acceptable instance there is to shave that is if a girl is running her hands through your chest there and she says it's a little bit much. Yeah. She's like, I'm not trying to get dental floss. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I don't want to give up the spot, right? Uh Uh-huh. Because once you're out, you're out. Yeah, that's fucking true. Don't I know it? Yeah. I signed up for a housing list in Thunder Bay. I've been called twice in six years. Yeah. Wait, why didn't you take it either time? Because it was in like really rough neighborhoods. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah, my mom wouldn't allow me to move. Yeah, my mom, like if she could kick me to the curb, like she loves me. But the one thing she wants for me is to get the fuck out of this house. (laughs) Yeah. So if she wants me to stay, that means something. Yeah, because she wants the best for you. And she knows it's not living there. And it's not living there. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other thing is, if you rank the available apartments within this organization, of which there are, I don't know, 80, and I have one, and it's, in my opinion, the best location of the bunch. Yep. And my apartment is one of the best available in this location. Exactly. So it's the best of the best with hair on your chest. (laughs) (laughs) Next time for our next episode, I'm going to wear my deepest V. (laughs) I hope that means you have to go buy a new one. Yeah, I don't, I have like all my V-necks are undershirts because I actually don't wear them. Can't you just ask Jeff for like a jacked V-neck? (laughs) He must have like dozens. Jeff, I remember, was one of the people that I probably told this story, but uh, when I first moved into Carlton, I was so scared of having a random person shave me. So I just let my beard and everything just grow wild. And it was it was really bad. Oh, yeah. So so Jeff went in there and cleaned it all up for you. Well, I remember the inciting moment was I I was at the Carlton cafeteria and I ran into someone who I went to high school with. It's like, and I couldn't see them because my beard was so long. <laughs> my eyebrows were also my beard. <laughs> I saw her. I remember her being like, wow, you've grown your beard. But I immediately went home and I was like, I need to shave. So I started taking a mental survey of all of the attendants at Carlton, like who would I trust to do this? And then Jeff came up and I was like, oh, 
Yeah, of course, Jeff. A, because he's Jeff, like he can handle anything. Yeah. But B, he's Lebanese, so he has a lot of experience with keeping shit under control. Is that racist? No, I think okay. he would agree. I'm just, I'm just checking. I know he would agree that it wasn't. Maybe another Lebanese person would be very mad at me, but I'm talking specifically about Jeff. Just the Lebanese with alopecia would be mad? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great sight. So yeah, I was like, oh, that's Jeff. And Jeff did it. He had to like get scissors to basically take the first layer off before going in there with a razor. But he got me sorted. And I was like, okay, now from now on, I had to make a pact with myself to not become that person again. Can I, can I just ask a clarifying question? Like, did you have trouble selecting an attendant to shave your beard because you had anxiety about whether or not like it was too like gay of a request or something? No, not even that. It was, it was just that I was nervous that I would end up without a face. What? I don't know. I was like, Oh, it's, probably really hard to shave another person i'm gonna get cuts everywhere and i know that's irrational but i also have real anxiety would your mother cut you every time she shaved you in high school right so i i feel like you're about to say yes to this question (laughs) i i um what is this what did she do to you i have anxiety getting my nails cut because my mom biological mom Cut my fingers no a hundred percent of the time. No, 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 no. Every finger, every time. No. And Tony scissored hands. No. (laughs) No. So to this day, I have a a big fear about getting my my nails cut. And I also don't think I had that much experience. Because basically my parents shaved me, and then I had like one PSW that came in. So Asking a completely new person, I was like, how's this going to go? Is it going to be bad? Am I going to... Even now, I have like three people that I asked to shave me. One of them that I get to do it like all the time. And then most of them, I don't even ask them. So if you, so what you're saying is, is, is that if you got rich enough to get a disabled squad, like a squad of attendants, you'd have one person who is just devoted to like cosmetology? No, I think because if I was a rich disabled person, I would be able to... Don't say if, because you're you're already comparably rich. So (laughs) let's start there. No, definitely not. If you were able to use your money... I'd probably just have a core set of really good attendants that I would trust with pretty much anything. Yeah. That's probably what would honestly happen. It's funnier to think of like a beard attendant and a butt wiping attendant and... Like an attendant for trimming my eyebrows. Because that's a thing. Let me tell you about that for a quick second. Your mother didn't cut your eyebrows, did she? No. (laughs) No, but I have had attendants. I'll be like, can you trim my eyebrows down? Because they get bushy, you know. Yeah, they're the cornerstone of your face. Yeah, so (laughs) I have to maintain a bit of bush, like 70s eyebrow bush. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go like full unibrow. You know, Tony, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Do you have to deodorant your eyebrows? (laughs) (laughs) All of this 
Is this going to be compressed because it's dead air? Because I'm <laughs> laughing so much I can't breathe. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, yeah. Can you just spray some cologne in my unibrow? <laughs> <laughs> you come up with your own like brand of Gillette for your fucking... <laughs> or whatever. I do get a greasy face sometimes. And so my eyebrows probably protect my eyes pretty well. So I, I can't shave them down too much. But if I let them go, you know, they get out of control. But I have had attendants do it and accidentally go, like, right down. Oh, no. To Bastards. the point where I look like a Lebanese person with alopecia. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's a reflex. <laughs> Anytime the Lebanese comes up, you just apologize to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I had hummus today. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> I wouldn't apologize for that. I love hummus. Oh man, hummus is so good. Anyway, we're off track. Sometimes I shave my eyebrows and it goes too far. So I do have to trust the right person with my eyebrow shaves. But I see I've been burned enough times where like I'll shave my beard and I never really shave it, so I'll trim it, but it, they mess up a bit or my instructions were unclear. And then I end up having to shave the whole thing off because it's just like you can't recover. So there's always a bit of nerves around all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. You've never had to have someone else shave your face, right? I did have someone try once, but it wasn't as easy as they assumed it would be. Right. Yeah, because of that, I'm always a little bit picky with who I ask to do it. Mm -hmm. When I'm getting my nails cut, same thing. Mm -hmm. I have a couple people that I basically rotate through. And if I don't see them in a week, because my nails go pretty fast and I have to do them again, then I'm kind of scrambling, like, who am I going to ask? It would be funny if we could start a TV show called, like, Care Guys for the Crip Guy. That would be sweet, actually. Like, you get, like, an OT in there to, like, help you get your chair set up. Yeah, it's like a team of, like, life skills slash care workers or whatever. And one of the care guys is actually another wheelie, right? you know, and, and they just like bust into your house and they're like, what's up, Anthony? Your eyebrows are in a sad state. Let's fix that shit up, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be sweet. Who else would be on the team? You'd have an OT. You'd have like a PSW that could do anything. Yep. Um, you'd have another wheelie who's like kind of like life coach. Mm-hmm. I don't you'd know who a, the guys are in Queer Eye. You'd have a paradriver. Let's think. Oh, paradriver would be sweet. Yeah, but like a, like a good one, like one that actually cares about their job, or just like a like a taxi driver. No, 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 no. I've had uh, taxi drivers like they look at uh, disabled customers as like a liability, and they often ditch me. So I have a bad taste in my mouth. Like, really? I know it's a, yeah, I know it's a hard job, like incredibly hard job. And like, it's like a, it's a bad lot. I think it's just, I want taxi drivers because then in my head, I'm going in a more acceptable vehicle rather than a bus everywhere. What the fuck does that mean? You, you, like, you don't, you want to be in a car as opposed to a van? No, I want to be in a van as opposed to a bus. Oh, is that like the aesthetic of your ride matters to you? Uh, no, I think I was just thinking in my head that if I was on a bus, it meant we'd have to pick up other people on the way. And I <laughs> want to go there directly. Because <laughs> if I have a care, guys, and one of them is a bus driver, 
And he's like, all right, where are we going? Okay, just a think. I have to pick someone up in the other side of the city first. Yeah, because that's what 90% of para rides are for you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So you don't have the, you've never had the luxury of going directly to the place where you want to go? During COVID, actually, it was pretty good. Yeah. Because they don't want to add other people to the ride. Yeah. So it's always direct and they're always on time. Uh, Tony, I don't want to be too bougie, but you deserve direct rides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, that's what I've been trying to get uh, this whole time. It'd be so funny to have like MTV cribs of like a disabled guy. And it's just like, it's just like a regular core floor house, like, like two and a half bathrooms, and like a, a living space. That's like not too flashy, but like perfectly serviceable. I had this grab bar put in, helps me transfer to the toilet. <laughs> It's not even gold. It's just a regular grab bar. Yeah, just a regular silver grab bar. <laughs> I couldn't afford a rolling shower, but this thing helps me get in the tub. <laughs> Check it out. It drains perfectly, too. It never floods. <laughs> <laughs> My elevator has only been broken down three times since I moved in. <laughs> I can totally use my dishwasher and my oven without asking asking someone for help. <laughs> <laughs> this this is not coin laundry. It uses a card. <laughs> I can reach everything on every shelf of my fridge. Check it out. <laughs> I had this grabber made special because I'm left-handed. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like it's like the height of luxury. <laughs> Check it out. I can use my balcony, not just the people who visit me. <laughs> These are wider than your standard doors. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm going to die laughing. <laughs> I don't even have wider than your standard doors. <laughs> I'm sweating with laughter. MTV Crips. <laughs> MTV Crips. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. That would be such a good YouTube video. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be only disabled people would get it. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. A shower chair I could actually transfer to unassisted. <laughs> My physiotherapist actually took the time to understand what I needed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! That's oh weird. my god! Do you think other people will like think that's as funny as we do? I don't know. They'd have to be pretty inside baseball. That's true. But whatever. They don't. I don't care. I'm having a good time. So. Same here. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about this movie? I don't think so. The only other point that I really had was. I, again, it's about my idea of the re-envisioned version of this film for 20, 2021. Yeah. There's a general like sort of male resentment toward matriarchal power structures. You know, even though nursing is one of the hardest jobs there is, and a lot of nurses are incredible people, like every nurse in this movie is sort of depicted as like a, a foot soldier of the like, you know, medical third Reich or whatever. I had some trouble with that, and I was trying to figure out how that would be handled nowadays. Well, post-COVID, that's a 
pretty touchy subject right now. Of course. On one hand, so many nurses have stepped up and saved so many lives, basically been medical firefighters Mm -hmm. to go in there and keep people like us alive. Yep. I've benefited from that, that we had an outbreak here where there was two staff working every day for two weeks. Yep. And just because they were the only people allowed to come in because of the outbreak. And they were powered through. Yep. Then sort of at the same time, you've had all these revelations about the kind of institutional ills at care homes. Exactly. And all the ways in which people are neglected. And obviously you can't blame that on any one individual care worker, of course. So it's a systemic problem. It's a problem with the way that we um, acknowledge and cope with old age and dying in our society, of course. Yeah, it's a very, it's an interesting thing. I have a lot of attendance here from, you know, various countries with varying cultures. Mm-hmm. One consistent theme that comes up in conversation is how it feels like our culture really doesn't care about family. Yeah. And it's an interesting one because when things like that come to light, you see family members angry and up in arms, rightly so, and I don't want to take anything away from that, because their parents who are in a home were not properly taken care of during this pandemic. I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say, except like it's so hard to see when something like that happens because it is just a huge failure. It's a it's a set of assumptions about you know what an institution is supposed to do and how much of a certain amount of obligation they are meant to fulfill. Because I sometimes have looked at Carlton as being similar to a care home where I felt like, and this is controversial and unfair to these people, but sometimes it felt like people were dropping their kids off at Carlton and just sort of assuming that it would sort itself out. It's like sending them to camp and they'll come up with a degree. Yeah, but I mean, just because you cart your kid off to school who is disabled it doesn't mean they're going to magically acquire all of the lifestyle all of the life skills that they were that were absent from their home life it it, it doesn't quite work that way there are yeah. there are voids in the understanding of how to parent disabled kids and no one care organization is going to fill those gaps it, like it's a process and like yeah of course it's on us but it's also on our community to put us out of sight, out of mind. You you look back to, to Crip Camp, right? Where that's what it was. You shove disabled people in a home in the dark, in the boonies, and just kind of hope there was enough people to care so they wouldn't die. <laughs> but that was it. Yeah, It's getting better. But, you know, then we have I Care A Lot, which shows that our discussion on that at least talks about there's still a woman way to go. Oh, yeah. Even what we're talking about today, like, we all know, at least I'll speak for myself, I know a nurse ratchet. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's not even a, a worker. It could be management. It could even be more of a, a philosophy. Mm-hmm. But the institution around dealing with and supporting people who need this help, often I think people think that just by virtue of having a job in healthcare, 
that's enough to consider yourself a good person mm-hmm. rather than actually putting in the work to be good at your job yeah. and to care about the people you're supposed to be supporting. You owe it to yourself and the people you're helping to, uh, to help them. Meaningfully. Yeah. Have you ever seen that South Park skit? Uh, the episode where with the cable company where like, they're trying to cancel their cable and they just rip a hole in their shirt and start rubbing their nipples. That is the one contemporary South Park clip that I've watched repeatedly. I actually kind of hate that show. I'm sorry. The parallel I'm drawing, the joy that they get out of depriving you of what you want and what you need. Yeah. I felt that on the phone with certain managers in healthcare mm-hmm. where like you are trying to get some needs at and they almost take pride in fighting you for them. Like they're tracking their call handle time and they're just trying to keep it under six minutes and they're pretending you're not a person. And they're just placating you with like canned platitudes. You know, they've told other clients a hundred times. Yeah, they talk, they tell clients and for a lot of them it works. Yeah. The in, insane amount of back care that they have raises up on, on its end. Mm-hmm. And I just feel in those moments even more conviction that I have to fight back. But it's exhausting. It is super exhausting. But at least you do fight back. At least you have that courage. You're not afraid of nurse, your nurse ratchet lobotomizing you. I am. I'm definitely afraid because I know the power that they have. That's the thing. Is like at any point, they can be like, hey, sorry. We're not able to shower you for the next 18 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really. My course of action at that point is basically to fight tooth and nail to get a shower. There's really nothing else I can do besides try to climb up the ladder and fight back. But ultimately, they hold all the cards. Yeah. Isn't it sad sometimes that you feel like, like, do I have to call my parents? Like, do do I have to get some people in the room that you consider to be adults? You fucking assholes. Yeah, I've had the fantasy before. I probably told you where I switch careers and become a lawyer or or someone with power. I've also had the fantasy where I somehow become the manager above the company that provides my service. Oh, damn, Tony. And then I fire some of the people. Oh, oh I've had that, that dream. That has to happen. Imagine. You have to you have to somehow uh, leverage all your your knowledge for like home automation and assistive devices and like make like your care provider like a subsidiary of your eventual startup and then just fire all the motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. And then just seeing it's like when you pull weeds out of a flower bed and then the flowers start growing again. Oh, man. And you just see all these disabled people like get jobs and start having fulfilling lives and oh my god get good care again and all of their (laughs) they get better social lives because their mental health improves because their physical health is improving because the care that they receive is improved i'm getting worked up just thinking about it yeah yeah they they all get their own episode of mtv crips yeah we have to make that episode man (laughs) yeah we really do I would I would 100% use my space if we get a film crew in here and and just just start yeah I got this commode chair I like how it actually suits the walls 
usually the Komodo chairs don't really look good on the walls, but my Komodo chair actually fits my paint. <laughs> Check out my bed. I have I can raise the head of my bed so I don't get heartburn at night. <laughs> I have a backup battery on my BiPAP machine, so if the power goes out, I actually don't die. It's pretty cool. Moving to the next room. <laughs> If the power goes out, I actually don't die. <laughs> well, what a luxury. <laughs> Do you want to do a quick wheel breaker? We're kind of running up the clock a bit here. But... Sure, sure. Right. You want to go first? No, you go. Every time, eh? Every fucking time. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so I can make you able-bodied. Uh-huh. And it's going to be great. Let me tell you. That's my Christopher Walken. It's going to be so good. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. You walk down the street. You'll be over the moon. <laughs> that's that's <spot> on. <laughs> you go for a walk, you know, one step at a time, left foot forward, right foot forward. <laughs> so good. Whenever you're supposed to, you're talking to a person, whoever it is. Could be your mom, <laughs> could be a friend, could be... You know, just an, a random stranger that you've never met before. Could be the cashier. Every time it's appropriate to give eye contact, instead of eye contact, you stare at their crotch. That's assuming their crotch is visible. Well, it would be like... Is it that easy to tell when someone's looking at your crotch? Like, can you read that situation? Yeah, you make it obvious. You're not trying to be subtle about it. Your brain has basically been rewired... So you think it's fully appropriate to be staring at their crotch while talking to them. So you just confidently are staring at their crotch while you're saying like, would you like bags with that? You're just staring at their crotch. Guy or girl, doesn't matter. Have you ever, like, uh, like it's quite common to accidentally stare at someone's crotch. Because we're both at crotch level. That's true. Yeah. So I probably stare at a lot of crotches without realizing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they'll just think that I, that I don't want to go through the effort of being, making eye contact with them. Yeah, people have often asked me if I'm like a boob guy or a butt guy. And I'm a butt guy, but I think it's just because I see more of them. I'm like conditioned. You're just more familiar with butts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't know. To be honest, like, I feel like if I got caught, I could just make that excuse. Well, wait, no, I'm not disabled. So more I can't... excuse. Yeah, you're... Oh, fuck, dude. You're looking down. Now I'm just the crotch stare. Yeah. Just all and the it's, time. It's a significant amount. Everyone, I stare at everyone's crotches, men, women, coworkers, old, young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you don't, anytime you should be looking someone in the eye, yeah. you instead look at their crotch. So I'm just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I would really get caught. I got to be honest. You don't think you would get caught? Or you don't think someone would call you on it? I'm, no, I don't think they would. Ever? I they probably just think I look down at the middle distance. No, it's obvious what you're doing. Yeah, whatever. I do. no wheel. I I can do it. I'll stare at their crotches. You're convinced. Convinced. Yeah, like I mean, I no one's ever gonna be like, hey, stop looking at my dick or stop looking at my. I mean, a, a, a lady might. You're trying to meet them, but, and you're just staring at their crotch the whole time. Again, like that's kind of a weird. That never happens. I mean, you could get caught, like, I mean, you can get called out for staring at someone's breast or their ass. But then you get called out and you keep staring. The crotch is vague, though. It's like kind of like I could be staring at their lap or their midriff or or just, again, thinking. And that's where I stare when I'm thinking. 
What if I said crotch on a guy, cleavage on a girl? That would be, yeah, that would be more complicated. So you were really only thinking about it in terms of girls then. Is it because you already stared at all your friends' crotches? No, it's because of the actual risk of creating like a social faux pas or committing a social faux pas. So you don't think it would be weird to stare at your guy friends' crotches? Not really, because they don't expect me to be staring at their crotch. If they caught me, they would be like, no, he's obviously not staring at my crotch. There's there's nothing all that impressive to look at. <laughs> I guess you would know. <laughs> all right, Tony. All right, so guys stare at their crotch, girls stare at their chest. Guys stare at their crotch, girls stare at their... You asked me that already. I said yeah. no. I said no for that. Oh, you did say no? I thought you just mm-hmm. were considering it. No. So you wouldn't do it? Yeah, because I get caught, like, I get caught within the first hour, and it would ruin all of my interactions with the fair sex. Yeah, I mean, you could try guys, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Try it out. Do you have one? <laughs> I got nothing today. Okay, okay, how about this? You get to be totally able-bodied, but you come back as 31-year-old Danny DeVito. 31-year-old? And then I'm going to age the same way he already does. Yeah, so you're Danny DeVito. Yeah, I don't think that'd be a problem at all. No? He looks fine in this movie. I didn't even recognize him. Even when you told me it was him, I was like, no, it's not. Okay. See, that wasn't a good one. I'm sorry. Let me think of another one. Fuck. He looks great. Yeah, and then I just end up sounding heightist because... Oh, that's the problem? Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being short. Well, I don't I don't know. He's, I mean, he's a little... I mean, I got nothing. Doesn't bother me at all. So you're totally comfortable playing the penguin for Tim Burton? I mean, I haven't seen the movie, but yeah, I feel like... I would If I was able-bodied, I might honestly pursue acting. Me too. I've thought about that. Yeah, I think it would be super fun. I would love to do it as a disabled person too, but... As we well know, there just aren't that many roles. That would be the greatest irony of all. Like you get able-bodied and then you go into acting. And then all the roles go into disabled people. There's just a tremendous pressure for your first role to be like Stephen Hawking or something. <laughs> but then I do a, a really good job of it because I know, I know <laughs> all the tricks. Yeah, yeah. How did you prepare for this role? <laughs> I watched a lot of movies. I, re- I talked to some people I know. Just completely avoid. Well, I used to be disabled for 30 years. That would be super. I would love to be an actor, honestly. I think. I don't know. Never done it. <laughs> I think part of it is the fantasy of being another person. And then if you were able-bodied, like, some of that fantasy would probably go away. That's a good point. Maybe. Because then, basically, if we win, if we do one of these wheel breakers and we actually end up able-bodied, you're kind of in the role of your life now. You get to be, you're, you're kind of acting now as a new person because we've never been able-bodied before. So we'd have to start acting what we think able-bodied people would be like, you know? Oh. Like, there'd still be some acting involved, I think. Yeah, th- that would be the most fascinating part is that which parts of your personality would remain disabled, yeah. i.e. as a product of social conditioning. Like how much of your securities just drop away and how much of them do you just do stick with you because they're so part of you now? Mm -hmm. For me, like one question I would love answered is 
being able-bodied would mean that my brain damage would be reversed. Mm -hmm. And then so what... How much your personality changes? How much would my personality change? Like, you know, would my moods be as variable? Would I have a better spatial awareness, better command of certain kinds of problem solving or, you know, a mastery of types of learning that I previously had difficulty with? Yada, yada, yada. But but there'd probably be things you'd lose too, like... I don't know, I'm just spitballing, but maybe your vocabulary and your eloquence when you're speaking would fall away because maybe your brain wouldn't categorize words the same way you do now. Well, yeah, I was thinking that a lot of um, CP kids have disproportionately larger vocabularies because you spend less time as a child being able to physically go around and explore your environments like by yourself. Right. So instead you, instead of learning how to touch and interact with the space, you learn how to describe it. Yeah, that's a great point. I also think that it, it's, it's kind of like that. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Or if you lose one sense, another one is heightened. So when you're not spending a lot of cycles, figuring out like your, proprioception so that you can catch a ball or throw a ball instead you're focusing it on developing a vocabulary or you're just not spending as much time outside doing activities you know swimming or snowshoeing or hiking so you're inside reading books and gaining knowledge that way i think it's also like we were talking about earlier you know i'm very happy doing whatever with a group of people that I like. Uh And I think it's because of my disability, because at a young age, I wasn't able to go and get a toy to play with. I had to kind of learn how to just be happy sitting here and making the most out of where I am right now, because I can't go to another spot. Or learning how, how to optimally ask for help. Right. That's a, that's a skill set, just asking for help. Yeah. So you, you would definitely lose things that are probably pretty essential to you, core to your being, and things that you maybe don't even attribute to being disabled that make you a great person. So it, it would be interesting. It would be really wild if somehow we were actually able to do this. And we snapped our fingers, made each other able-bodied. How soon would one of us go, this kind of sucks? Yeah, really. Or this, like, this is it? Question mark, question mark. Yeah. Why did I have to stare at crotches for this? Yeah. Or why did I have to eat a small piece of shit in the morning? Every day? Yeah, every day. Yeah. All right, Tony, let's wrap it up there. Thanks again, everyone, for the support. You guys have all been really amazing we love uh talking to you on social media now trust me we're trying to get better at it we still suck at social media but we really are trying and want to grow our fan base there as well so thanks again for all the support you guys have been amazing and this is always a blast bye see ya